Y'all ready to be history? It started. Welcome. Hi. 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 Hello, everyone. To the Pro Audio Suite. Thanks to Rode Microphones. These guys are professional. They're motivated. Introducing Robert Marshall from Source Elements and Someone Audio Post, Chicago. Darren Robbo Robertson from Voodoo Radio Imaging, Sydney. Tech to the VO Stars. George the Tech Whitam from LA. And me, Andrew Peters. Voiceover talent and home studio guy. And welcome to another Pro Audio Suite. This week we're going back to the tri-booth because there was something that uh, I noticed during the week uh, when I was recording a session with my daughter. Um, we recorded in the booth and while she was here I thought I'd just chuck her into the tri-booth and see what it sounds like. And it was so close uh, I could have actually cut a piece of the audio from the tri-booth and dropped it into the main session. But the one thing that stood out to me apart from that was there was no boominess, no boxy sound at all. Why would that be? Is it something to do with the frequency of the voice or what? Uh, yeah, I know. It's There's all those factors, right? There's the frequency content of the voice. So if, obviously if she doesn't have any frequency content below like 120 hertz and the boominess starts below 120 hertz, then that problem is solved just by the fact that there's no information it's yeah. <laughs> below 120 hertz. So if it was your voice, it could be in a whole different story. So yeah. that's hard. To, it's hard to say um, if that was the main factor or if it was the size of the room in which the tri-booth was placed. That has a big part of the fa- That's a big factor because when you're in a tri-booth or any kind of a booth made out of a, a, th- a thin, you know, a non-rigid material, you know, the booth itself is completely made out of limp material, so the sound passes through it and passes back through on the other in the other direction as it re- returns. Yeah, and because it's limp, it doesn't really. It does have a resonance, as we did notice. It has some kind of a resonance, but it's certainly not down in the boomy range. Um, so the booth itself won't have any boominess, but the room that the booth is inside of could. So if it's okay. too small of a room. Um, if you set up a tri-booth type product in too small of a space, then the resonance of that room or the room modes that exist in that room will start to become a factor, you know, at the low end. It's a bit like AP leaving his monitors on while we're recording an episode of this show because it comes back at you. (laughs) (laughs) That that didn't happen today, did it? Like they are now. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we were hearing something slapping. Oh, I, I, I thought it was the headphones. Hang on a second. Hang on a minute. I knew See, I Rob, forgot Robbo something. would know. He's, uh, he's heard it a thousand times. I left it intentionally. I've been waiting for that moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right on. Anyway, it's fixed now. There you go. Press the button. I forgot to mute. See, my uh, monitors are right at, like, literally in front of me. So if I had my monitors on... You guys would know immediately and tell me, what the heck are you doing, George? (laughs) See, the difference is I would never do that to you, George. That's the thing. (laughs) Well, we're not made to yet. When we get a certain point, that might start happening. Yeah, exactly. Um, But yeah, so that's another factor is is the room it's in. And then it's the microphone that was being used. And that's a factor, whether it tends to pick up more off axis low frequency resonance or less and what mic were you using the 416 the 416 that is that is the mic that was used throughout the entire development of the or of the R&D development testing and everything around the tri booth so 
you know, we clearly found that that mic works really well in that environment. So yeah. not every mic would work as well. And it depends, again, on the room, all those things. And then, of course, the mic proximity, which we're going to talk about as well later on about yeah. mic placement. Another but episode, yes. All of those things, all of them work together to cause either good things or bad things to happen. So how do you build um, your sort of um, stack Oh, so the oh, when you so when you get a tri booth, you're talking yeah. about the what we call it the generically we call it the filter. Oh, yeah, the filter. Because yeah. stack is a it's a term that's came directly from Twisted Wave. That's their own way of describing a a uh, a bunch of effects connected together. Uh huh. Um, some DAWs call it a uh, effects chain. Wouldn't it be know. the stack? Listack, yeah. Listack. Um, some call it in Adobe Audition. It's called a rack, and Reaper. It's called an effects chain, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, they all have a different name for it. But um, what I'm mainly doing with the filter that they get with the tri booth is if there are resonances that are standing out, you know, like a boominess from their environment or a um, whatever it is. If there's anything that takes away from the quality of the mic and the voice that creates comb filtering or other kind of weird coloration, I try to correct for that. So I'll make an addition, initial filter based on where the booth is set up and the client's voice in that scenario. And that's going to work great for that situation. It may work well when they move the tri booth to a different location or it may not. So it's really hard to say if it's going to work great in every situation. Um, but if the tri booth is used in mainly larger spaces, let's say the size of a typical bedroom or hotel room or rooms that size, it'll be pretty, it'll be pretty consistent. But when it's used in much smaller spaces, yeah, you might, it might need more correction to, to deal with that kind of resonance from the room. So that's part of what the filter has. Then I'll, if it depends on what they want to accomplish, but if they do need to just send out ready for consumption audio, like ready for consumer, not production ready. I would call production ready audio flat or dry, but ready for consumption audio that has to be finished. Then I will add more, you know, more seasoning to the pot, you know, uh, compression, expansion, uh, even possibly DSing and then some limiting. So all of that can go into a filter just depending on what the user needs to accomplish. So then that obviously if you affect the frequencies as well when you're when you're setting up the filter, I guess. Well, yeah, that would be where the EQ would come in. So if I'm feeling like there's a boominess that's there that's happening in their situation, then I would try to correct for it. Um, if they're using a mic that is like a wide cardioid pickup mic, like a TLM one oh three or something, I'm probably gonna have to have them choke up on the mic, you know, and get quite a bit closer. Yeah. Because it's so that mic is going to be so much more affected by the environment than the 41.6 or really any shotgun super cardioid highly directional mic is just far more affected by the environment so yeah it, yeah it's it's completely dependent on on that user's setup and that's why we wanted to make sure along with the booth they got some kind of way of you know modifying or getting at least some degree of quality control after the sale you know what I mean? That's what really yep. sets it apart. Nobody else is doing that. There's not a single product from any other vendor from, you know, from the tiniest thing to the most expensive that includes that. 
And I yeah. think that's what we really wanted to make sure that you were getting something beyond the pale when you get a tri booth. Yeah. So now you're listening to, you know, me actually in the tri booth as we speak. Um, what would you adjust with what I'm, what, what uh, you're hearing from my end? If so, anything. Tell me, give me an idea about your mic proximity. I'm going to guess that you're about uh, hand to pinky thumb distance from the mic. Yeah, thumb to pinky. Yeah. Yeah, like a Shaka Hang 10. Yeah. About six to seven inches, roughly, maybe, if you could yep. say. Yep. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, you know, in, in a tri booth, I think a lot of people are used to being in a very dead, confined studio space. And those tend to have a resonance to them, even when they're pretty well-tuned. They still allow a bit more low-end to kind of build. When you're in a tri-booth in a larger space, that low-end never really gets to build up. So it can end up sounding slightly thinner. Um, so in your case, I would either A, have you move slightly closer to the mic, or B, if you're comfortable with that placement, I would probably add a little bit of low-end, you know, maybe between 80 to 100 hertz. I might bump okay. up the EQ just a little bit to to give back some of that chest resonance that you might be missing. Oh, interesting. So if I move in closer to the mic, then you are hearing that resonance now, I guess. A little bit more, right? Yeah. And yeah. this is this is the 41.6, so is that right? 41.6? Yeah. The 41.6 is interesting, you know, because it's a shotgun line interference, or what do they call it? Infer- interference gradient mic? Whatever the heck it's called. It's got yeah. a tube with a bunch of slits in it, right? <laughs> yeah, that'll um, be it. Those mics, while they do have some proximity effect, it's nowhere near as pronounced as a cardioid mic. So you can choke up on it quite a lot. Now, I'm on a Rode NTG5 right now, very, very similar in, in its design, and I'm a fist width away from the mic. I'm pretty close yep. to it. And I'm doing that not to sound like some huge voiced broadcaster, I'm doing it to just control my environment as much as possible. I know that when I'm that close, I'm going to get less overall ambient background noise and less reflections from my environment. So that's why I, I work it closer. And if you do that in your tri booth, you're going to get a similar result. So you have to work it. If you want it to sound a bit more natural, less broadcasty, a little bit more like I'm just a guy talking and you want to sound less like you're on television or at least on radio, back away from the mic. If you want to sound a bit more authoritative, a little bit more serious and maybe a little bit more promo, then you get a little bit closer to the mic and it kind of dials that effect up. Because the interesting thing about shotguns is where is the capsule? I don't know, I don't know where it is. Pretty far away. Like yeah, it's if right you look at all end. those holes. Well, yeah. if you look at the slits and the slots on the mic, there's a certain point where those slots end. It's yep. maybe about a half to a third of the way down the tube. That's a, that's essentially where the capsule actually is. So it's actually a lot farther from you than you think it is. And that's, a, and that's I think, a big part of why um, proximity effect doesn't really, isn't really affected that much with shotgun mics. You just can't, you can't even physically get close enough to the capsule to build up a lot of proximity effect. Unless, of course, um, yeah. you shove it up your ass. And, um... <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, I would yes, love yes. to have someday have an engineer on from Sennheiser or one of the mic designers that work with shotguns specifically to yep. talk about this more scientifically, you know, or more just, just from a more of, a, of an engineer's perspective about 
why a, a cardioid or why a cardioid mic versus a shotgun mic behave so differently with uh, proximity effect. All everything I'm talking telling you is based on theory and just my understanding of how these mics work, but the true understanding of why that mic sounds the way it does, that's yeah. that's beyond my pay grade. <laughs> It's actually really interesting you say that about the the low end. If I'm this far off the mic, you know, it hasn't got that um, promo kind of bottom end to it. Uh, that's probably why I, I would think an NTG5 in the tri booth will work really well without having to creep up on the mic, right? Because it, it does so have that, a bit more that low end, end to it. Doesn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. In fact, I just did an AB with a client a few days ago who has both, based on my recommendation, and um, we were we literally did a shock shootout. You know, he sent me some samples. And the 41.6 had less low end, more top end. The NTG5 had more low end, less top end. So the NTG5 was really more, a little more honest, if you want to say that. Yeah. It was a little bit flatter. And the 41.6 sort of have a tilt to it, right? It has a bit of a top end tilt. And I told him, I can make the NTG5 sound a heck of a lot like the 41.6, which is actually what I'm doing right now. I've got all this EQ on mine right now. I'm going to turn it off. And now you can hear the real... NTG5. It's a lot duller, a lot flatter, sort of smooth and a little bit warmer, right? And then I turn on my EQ again and I give it a high-end shelf and now it sounds more 4160. It does. <laughs> it does um, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you can do that with these mics. You can add something. And a 4160, you can certainly remove something that you don't like if it's too bright or too harsh. Um, but they are definitely different. They're similar, but different. But I like the NTG5's voicing better than the older NTG3, which was yeah. even more flat and dull sounding and warm. Like it was even more of the, the wrong direction, I thought. I, I'm not a fan of the NTG3, it's particularly on a, on a male voice. I think it yeah. kind of works okay with a female voice, but no, yeah. not, for, not for a male. I have heard it on some female voices and thought it worked out pretty well in some cases. But uh, yeah. Having said that, we had Nico Rourke on the show a few shows back, and he has an NTG3, um, but he was so far, well, he's quite a way off the mic, and it didn't sound like an NTG3 at all. Right. And that was that was due to proximity, I think. Yeah, it starts to sound unfamiliar when you get farther yeah. away. Yeah. And that absolutely. word familiar is a big thing about mics. Uh, the 41.6 comes up constantly in terms of what we're familiar to, the way something should sound with a voiceover. It yep. just has a familiar EQ to it. It just, it's just, we're so used to hearing that. And I end up, some people, people send me audio all the time to EQ, right? I set up, I set up a filter for whatever. Invariably, you know, unless I'm directed otherwise, I'm probably going to make whatever mic they're using sound a bit like a 41.6. Yes, exactly. It's an inherent bias just yep. uh, from that sound being so darn familiar. Just, it's, it's just wired into my brain. That EQ makes sense. And, I just think you know, they should change the actual shape of the uh, 41.6 and uh, so. make it, it should just look like a chisel because basically that's what it is, an audio chisel. <laughs> a chisel, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you sliced yeah. it down the, down the long way, it would almost look like a chisel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It would. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's, I, love the, I love how these mics have their own personalities and I think the road is, is airing towards the size of, side of we don't want it to have a lot of character. We want it to be more accurate. Yeah. And that's, I think, the right move. I, I, there's no reason to make another 41.6 or a mic that sounds exactly like a 41.6. Um, if you're a Chinese company wanting to knock 
you know, sell a bunch of mics and I'll name some, but I won't today unless you want me to. Um, no, 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 no. You, you know, which ones you going to say? Yep. Yeah, but th- that's a different <laughs> story. They're clearly just trying to emulate that mic and sell it for a quarter of the price. That's not what Rode's doing with the NTG5. They're just trying to make the best lightweight, portable RF capsule design shotgun mic available. And it just happens to be half the price of the 41.6 because it's made in Australia. <laughs> you guys <laughs> can make stuff cheaper than they can in Germany. And that's the bottom yeah. line. I mean, this mic could be a thousand dollar mic. Yeah, it's just, absolutely. It's just not. I mean, including and the fact that it includes the, that pistol grip and all that, that's, that would normally be a $150, $200 accessory. Yeah. So it's an amazing deal. The only problem is we all love it so much. The thing's been backordered like crazy. So getting one is really difficult. <laughs> it is very difficult. Yeah, it is. It is indeed. Well, there you go. So, um, well, that'll give me a bit of homework to do. I might, uh, I'll have to dig out the NTG5 and uh, give it a whirl in the tri-booth and see how it sounds. There you go. Have a good play. Yeah, exactly. I shall. Send us some results. I'm sure you will. I will. (laughs) You know me too well, Robbo. I'll clog up your inbox, don't you worry about that. And that's not a euphemism, by the way. (laughs) Well, you tried with your your 41.6, apparently. That's right. Yeah, my inbox has been clogged up for ages. Or was that your outbox? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was fun. Is it over? The Pro Audio Suite recorded using Rode NTG5s and Source Connect. Edited by Andrew Peters and mixed by Voodoo Radio Imaging with tech support from George the Tech Wizard. Help us share the show with more people and get your hands on exclusive content by contributing to our Patreon page. See patreon.com forward slash Pro Audio Suite. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and join in the conversation on our Facebook group. To leave a comment, suggest a topic, or just say good day, drop us a note at our website. The Pro Audio Suite. Dot com.